Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and uh, it's Monday, and you know what we do on Mondays? It's Mondays with McCool, joined by James McCool of Pay Dirt DFS, the co-author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. So give me those thummy thumbs in the YouTube chat. I see you guys in there. Thummy thumbs, subscribe, subscribes, notification, belly bells. Do whatever you want. Click on whatever you want. Uh, good morning. Uh, go, going over some uh, some stuff from uh, yesterday's slate uh, with, with with James. Did do you want to get you want to get it out of the way since it's a running joke? Everyone, people have been at people. People are asking now, what's going to be the player that you have like seven points higher projected than anyone else in God's green earth? Okay. Uh, so why do we get out of th- that out of the way? Uh, uh, in my aggregate, okay, the top raw points score. Let, let's just go the top raw points scoring right, players. Right. In my aggregate, uh, Adams, Hunt, Cup, Hill. Do we, is that is that close to yours at least? Adams, Hunt, Cup, Hill. Let's see. Let, let me remove quarterbacks here. Yeah, removing quarterbacks. Uh, pretty close. Yeah. I had, uh, I had Adams and Hill and cup in the top five. Okay. The other two, what, uh, what, what are your other two? Which, which players do you, do you, I mean, I mean, you must see stuff around the industry. So, I mean, like what, what players do you think that you're unreasonably over? project? You mean reasonably over and you think it's reasonable, but I think it's unreasonable, but Cortland like Sutton hard, again. It's hard for me to say. I wouldn't have thought it was Cortland Sutton and then OBJ the week before. So I don't know what to ask about. Well, th- I mean, my top five in terms of uh, not quarterbacks were Tyreek Hill at the top at 26, Devontae Adams at 25.5, Jamar Chase at 22, Cortland Sutton at 21.2, and Cooper Cup at 20.88. Yeah, yeah, the, that, the Chase and the Sutton, yeah, that's... So Chase <laughs> is the one that I thought was going to be like the weird one this week. When I saw that, I was like, eh. Who do you think? Yeah. Chase? Uh, Jamar Chase. I thought it was Jamar okay, well, Chase. Well, you have him like four points rejected higher than I do. Yeah, okay. But you still have Cortland Sutton six points, uh, five points higher projected. And he's still crushing. Eh, I guess so. <laughs> actually, probably, actually, yesterday, he probably should have had more points. He probably should have. Right, I agree. Twenty. He probably should have had something like thirty-two or something. Yeah, dude, I, I, I was, the train for that team, man. Uh, what What did you have Mixon at? Mixon. I so I think I projected low on Mixon. Yeah, I had Mixon at thirteen, but I liked Mixon more than that. Like I know why Mixon was that low, but I liked him more than that for sure. How did you only get 13 on Mixon if you, I mean, were you not projecting him to play like 85 to 90% of the snap? So I was projecting him, I was projecting him well in terms of his market share, but the Bengals didn't necessarily pop in terms of their Vegas stuff. Yeah, but you had Chase at 22. So how is that possible? Right. Well, that's because they like to pass in the red zone too. They don't really like to run that much in the red zone. Hold on, they didn't, me, uh, the, they didn't have to. They got they got they got thirty yard passes and right, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. Um, I had okay, yeah, I had Mixon for sixty five percent of the rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, and like fifteen percent of receiving touchdowns, ten percent of receiving yards. 
Who are you so, giving thirty? You were giving Chris Evans thirty five percent of the workload. No, I had Jamar. I had Joe Burrow at ten percent of the rushing yards. I had Jamar Chase at one. I had Chris Evans at twenty five. Right. Well, I think that was too high. Sure, that's fair. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I thought. I thought maybe that would be the one that it would be. I thought. I thought you'd be over. No, because I actually, I actually saw Mixon at seventeen, and like I played. I play, I mean, if we look at my exposures, I'll bring them up on the screen. Like I was playing like more of them than the field. I mean, at, at the running back position, which I mean, I pl- kind of play as a, a running back roulette. Yeah. That's what I did. This right? week, yeah. So like, I'm never going to play like a million percent of someone, but uh, my top one, I played 36% hunt, 28% Chuba Hubbard. What, what, what was your, what was your projection on him? Cause I think, 17, I think 17. around the industry, he was kind of, I think he was under projected other than the blitz had him much higher because like, based on the, the just on the last game like who Smith, rod smith was gone like right yeah you almost have to give him everything and and he's and he's getting like five to seven targets yeah i had him at 17 with a ceiling of 30 okay so which that's is that's, i i think that i felt pretty good about that one i had kareem hunt at 17.6 i was hoping to be under on him what what did the industry have for kareem hunt a way higher 20 high, okay good I wanted that. I didn't think that he was going to get the vast majority of the work. He ended up getting injured. Like I had some good fortune on that for sure, but I didn't think right. that he was going to get near as much of the work as people thought. And 17.6, I mean, that's still a good projection for 6,200. Right. That's not right. bad. I mean, if, you, if, if you go by what happened to him, I mean, he played nearly every snap. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I thought based on the comments from the coaches, they have that Thursday game. I thought they were going to take it a little bit easier on him because he did have those two injuries. So I wanted Baker, Baker helped him on that by not playing well. Yeah, I know it's, it's beautiful. Um, but I still had Kareem Hunt. I mean, he was my second, t- my second highest overall projected running back. And I even brought him down a bit. So I I'm happy about bringing him down there, but um, I'm usually, I'm usually under the, the industry on running backs. Um, and that just naturally comes with, and that's usually why, why the players that I'm higher on are wide receivers so like that Jamar Chase versus Joe Mixon thing, that's that's pretty typical for my projection set because I lean into ceilings a little bit more. So like naturally wide receivers having a higher ceiling and the way that teams play, if a team like the Colts, like I, I was probably lower on Jonathan Taylor overall. I still I still liked him, but I mean, he's just not getting work. He's not and he, getting. And, he, and truthfully, he didn't. And he got there on, on an 85-yard rushing play. Or touchdown run. Right. So like I, I'm happy to be under on that. It, mostly my models have just been saying like these teams, we, we have so few running backs that are like true workhorses this year, true workhorses. And to, to have a projection over, you know, 22, 23 fantasy points, you've got to be getting a lot of work on a team that loves to rush in the red zone because that's where the vast majority of running back points come from is in the red zone. And people are either be like, oh, well, Derrick Henry, and he breaks off these long runs, Jonathan Taylor, but, but I'm not going to project that. Like, you don't project 80-yard breakout runs because they're a dime a dozen. Like, they do not – or no, not a dime a dozen. They're, they're super rare. Um, so mo- if most touchdowns happen in the red zone, then I'm projecting a lot of teams that uh, run more in the red zone. So, like, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on Cleveland, who only pass 36% of the time or something in the red zone – those guys are going to have a higher projection on their base because they have a higher touchdown expectation. Whereas a team like, uh, like Tampa Bay 
for Leonard Fournette to have a really good projection, they would have to run more in the red zone, but he still gets good reception. He still gets good receiving work. So he projects okay most of the time, but most of the time my models are under on running backs. So I, I expect to be under on Kareem Hunt. I expect to be under on Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon. Uh, How about Daryl Henderson? Daryl Henderson. I had him at 15. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're under yeah. like, compared to, I mean, even I if expect it's that. points under, I mean, but, but understand James that, on, like on draft, you still on DraftKings or FanDuel, you can still have to play two running backs. You do, so, you do. So based on based on your on your projections, you're more likely to have a wide receiver flex than you would Absolutely. have a running back. But you still have to play two running backs. And the point that 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 I'm making, and you are with the you know oh 80, 80 yard touchdown, and also running in the red zone and getting stuffed right on the goal line. Uh, the running back variance on ceiling could be very high, mm-hmm. which is the main reason why, like, I, I look, look how many running backs on a 10 game slate I had in my pool in lineups one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 mm-hmm. running backs. Yeah, I had some more than others, but I'm less concerned about, like, no, I'm going to jam, I'm not jamming in Khalil Herbert into uh, like 80% of my lineups. I'm not right. jamming in. You know, uh, Dalvin Cook. Oh, no one's playing him, right? Is he good? And into like a million percent of my lineups, it's like whatever lineups they fit in, they fit in. I'm gonna, you know, cap at certain certain thresholds. I'm more likely to play a running back if I'm playing the other side of the game, mm-hmm. right? So they're more likely to be in lineups together. And then it's just like I rely on like uh, I, hope, I hope I hope they're in the right lineups. But I based on the ownership projections, I think. Hubbard and Mixon were under owned yesterday. Absolutely. Uh, Agree. I think John Taylor was wildly over owned. I Absolutely. he came in much higher than I I had him uh, projected owned at 16. I had 13. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I I I had higher than that. If we look at uh at the ownership here, Jonathan Taylor came in at 19 in the slant and 25 in the millie. So, like, based no. on that, I actually would have had less of I mean, it's one of those things, when I review the slate, like, the, the main thing, and we, we've said, we've said, we say it in the course, we've said it on past shows, it's better not to res- review the results of the players, but the process of your decisions. Would you have made the same decision had you known X? And I'm not talking about what happened in the game, but had you known that the field was going to do X? So, like, Jonathan Taylor... Most of my lineups are geared towards the slant, those types of contests. So had I known he was 19% owned, like I played him at like in 5% of my lineups at 16% ownership. At 19, maybe maybe he doesn't make any. Right. Maybe he only makes three. I mean, because then, you know, he's a higher owned player. You take a look at, at like Kareem Hunt, I got like perfect. I put at 40. He was 40.9. I, I had 40.9. Right. So like <laughs> dead on. So like I look at like Mixon, I had him at 12% and he came in at Mm 15.9 in the slant. So actually I probably should have had him a slightly less, but still it's close. It's close enough. 12 and 15 close enough. Daryl Henderson. I had a 22. Mm -hmm. I projected at 22. He was 25, right? I had Hubbard at 16 and he came in at 15. So it's like, okay, I would have, I, based on this, I would have had a little bit less mix and a little less Henderson. Uh, 
And a little bit more, like Herbert, I projected at 24. And he came he came in at 23.29. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm like dead on on these. I take a look at Daryl Williams, I had at 12. He came in at 13.9. So it's like, I'm just looking at these things. It's like, is there anything that that's dramatically off that would have that would have changed the constructions that I was building? So like Eckler, I had it at 11%. He came in at 13, but in the milli and the play action, he was 22 and 23% off. Like if I was playing the milli, I and I was only getting Eckler in six percent of my lineups as it was. I probably would have had him in zero lineups. He's too expensive anyway. Well, I mean, people to look at. I mean, it's recency bias, right? Well, I did great last game. Okay, but to me, this is this is how I kind of judge the decisions that I'm making. Of like, is this how valuable is this player worth playing? Obviously, guys that are in stacks, you have to add correlation. This is a very basic way of doing so. But as you can see here, even in my player pool, like I'm not using, I'm filling in all, like all these ownership numbers are mine. These are my ownership. Now they come from uh, Roto Grinders ownership as a base. I look at ownership projections throughout the entire industry and then I, I modify, I tweak them. And then I also, I'm listening to content throughout the week. And I'm changing it based on based on that. So, like, you know, I take a look and go, you know, early in the week, maybe I had Cooper Cup at like 12%. You know, and then I'm like, no, he's 20, right? Tyreek, I only had at 15. And he came in, oh, 16 in the slant. So, like, yeah. that's not dramatically. Like, more often than not, I do, I do this exercise and I'm closer to what it ends up being in the slant than I would be in the milli. Because sometimes you just... I can't necessarily account for how much recency bias there is. It's hard. I mean, I don't play the milli, so I don't need to care. But like the milli or the play action, like, like yes, I, I take into account, oh, they did well last week. I'm going to bump them up three, four percentage points for if I'm playing the milli. But sometimes that could be eight, yeah. right? Sometimes they could be wildly overowned. And sometimes it doesn't move the needle at all. It's just for some reason... Based on the constructions, it's not it's not fitting at all. Like Jamar Chase in the slant was sixteen percent owned. In the play action, he was twenty five percent owned. I mean, that's based on oh, had a great week last week, right? I mean, that type of thing. So, like, like going through using results DB. Now, if that's if I mean, looking at the owners and go, oh, had I known this, and seeing if if you if. Even though you could use uh, Roto-Grinders, you know, projected ownership, which is part of Roto-Grinders Premium, click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. I mean, use some common sense yourself. If you don't agree with something, change it. There's no reason. I mean, I if James gave me his projections with Cortland Sutton at 22 points, I would have changed it, right? You should so have. James, James how, do you, how do you do ownership? Do you just aggregate or do you tweak anything? Do you run... But because based on your projections, if people were looking at your projections, Cortland Sutton would have been projected for 26% ownership, right? I mean, like you would have, like if you're using your own stuff to make ownership, it's, I mean, that's, I mean, you would get things that like wouldn't actually happen. So do right. you, just, you just aggregate? Yeah, I aggregate. Um, I do an aggregate of five different sources from around the industry. And then I also run using lineup HQ. I run 300 lineups. 
uh, and I cap at 75% so that we don't get anything weird. And then I have some algorithms that translate that into ownership as well. I give less weight to that because that's like not super great, but it is helpful to know where the values are. That's, that's how you find, you know, what, what guys are being forced in the lineups because they need to be forced in the lineups. Like this week, Khalil Herbert was going to be forced in the lineups. Um, Ricky Seals Jones is going to be forced in the lineups just because like that, that's how you afford these expensive stacks. You know, you have Lamar Jackson on the slate, you have Patrick Mahomes on the slate. So in order to afford these stacks, a lot of the time you have to have these cheaper plays. So um, I do an aggregate though. I do five different sources and then I have that kind of like optimizer algorithm thing that I do. And, and I come really, really close to yours and everything you were just listing off. I wasn't, I mean, I was within two points, two percentage points of everything you just listed off. Um, and you sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower, but in the vicinity. Um, and it's funny that you say that I would have had Cortland Sutton at 26% owned because his efficient ownership for me would have been 28% owned. Right. Well, that's what, but that's it. That's what, isn't <laughs> right. that the point that I'm making? It's like, if you, if you put out like what your efficient ownership based on your projections only, mm-hmm. You would you would expect them to be that on because really that's what you're doing like mm-hmm. based on your projections like well I'm gonna I'm obviously if I think that Corlin Sutton and Jamar Chase is this like it's more likely it's weird to say that if we take a look at Cortland Sutton take a look at those two examples Cortland Sutton in the slant ended up at five percent only yeah in the play action in the millie three okay so based if if you trusted your projections completely you would have thought that that they were the bet like Cortland Sutton was the best value play on the entire slate. Yeah, he was close. Like, yeah. Like from from a, from a relative value standpoint of like you're getting someone at that should be 28% owned based on your project. I'm not saying that he should be. I'm saying based on through your eyes. And this is the only way you could judge things is through your own specific eyes. Yeah. Because at at a 17 at a 15, 16 point projection. Like this is around as efficient ownership, probably five to seven percent, something like that. Probably mm-hmm. still still under owned, uh, but based on yours, it's like oh, efficient ownership twenty eight percent. He's going to be five in the slant. So if you were going to play a balanced strategy, you just play Cortland Sutton in lineups at twenty eight percent, and you'd be, you know, near over five times the field. Yeah. But if you wanted to exploit the field. You would have had him in like twice that many lineups. You would have had him in half your lineups because he was just so valuable. But if we take a look at Jamar Chase, so for instance, Jamar Chase was uh, 25% owned in the play action, Mm -hmm. 16% owned in the slant. So you're efficient if you were just in your eyes going through your projections. At his price, Jamar Chase, probably his efficient ownership, probably somewhere near. Sutton's 25-ish, right? Higher, higher ceiling. So 36. Oh, 36. Oh, okay. Which means yeah. he's much more efficiently owned in the play action than he is in the slant. Yes. So you still would have had, it still would have been worth more worthwhile from an exploitative standpoint mm. to play him in any contest, but you get more value from playing him in the slant than you do in the play action. Yeah. Because he was more owned in the play action. But that's through your eyes. Of course, I don't agree with the projections. So like that's, but you can only judge it based on what you're, the information that you're looking at. Yeah. But this, this is the way to figure out. So I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, you, you, what, you play three lineups into the power sweep? Yep. 
I'm, assu- I'm assuming you had Chase and Sutton. I had Sutton, yes. I didn't end up going with Chase. How could you have a guy that's the 30th? That- <laughs> Why so did you play- there was you thought the Bengals you didn't want to play him in a stack or something? Right. I didn't I didn't think that that game really made a good secondary stack, and I liked other main stacks better. So, like, I could have played him as a one-off if I wanted to, but I preferred a combination of Justin Jefferson and Robbie Anderson, which I was really high on, and then Robbie Anderson gets 11 targets and 11 yards, which kill me. Uh, And then I also really liked the Cortland Sutton and Darren Waller combination. I liked a lot of different things more than I liked the Jamar Chase with TJ Hawkinson or Jamar Chase. Or DeAndre Swift or something like that. Yeah, it's just I I didn't like that game. I, I, I thought the total was bad. So yeah, even though he projected well, if if I am MMEing this, if I have 150 lineups, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna end up with like quite a bit of Jamar Chase. But in three lineups, I went with a Baltimore stack, a Washington stack, and a Ram stack, and it just didn't work out. It didn't end up on any of them. And the Ram stack, how did you play the how did you play the Rams? With Robert Woods. <laughs> oh, you didn't double stack? Uh Robert Woods and Tyler Higby. Oh, you did it that way. So I wanted to I wanted to, to leverage Daryl Henderson ownership with Tyler Higby because if if Daryl Henderson isn't getting the work in the red zone, it's either because it's Sony Michelle or it's Tyler Higby catching red zone catches. So I wanted to try to take advantage of that. And then Robert Woods, I mean, he was significantly cheaper than than uh Cooper Cup. And a lot of the secondary stacks that I wanted to do and and the running backs that I liked, the running backs weren't exactly cheap. I didn't like Khalil Herbert that much. Um, so I, I had a lot of mid-range running backs and my wide receiver secondary stacks were relatively expensive. So I needed the salary savings from Robert Woods. And, and I don't, I didn't hate going down to Robert Woods from Cooper cup. I think that that offense can kind of be treated right now the same way as the Seahawks. Like you can look at Cooper cup and Robert Woods, same way that you look at DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett when Russell Wilson is active, obviously Geno Smith sucks. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't mind doing that. So Obviously, I got burned badly by that because Cooper Cup absolutely lit the world on fire. But yeah, I, I went with that, and then I brought it back with uh, with Sterling Shepard. So the the foundation was there, but variance. Right, yeah, I I had in in, in single entry three max. I played th- uh, seven lineups, mm-hmm. hand built hand built lineups. Uh, my st- I had one one out of the seven was a Stafford, and that was Stafford Cup Woods. Shepard and Engram. I and I played that lineup in a smaller, like in the small spy. I think like so a, you eleven hundred entries. Yep. And then I played that lineup with Hunt, Mixon, Hubbard, and the Ravens defense. So I mean, I just jammed that in. Uh, in the in the double spy. Well, we'll talk about the double spy in a second. Uh, the the game that I was more on was uh, uh, the uh, Dak Prescott and the mm-hmm. Cowboys. The problem is, is that like I played more Cooper than Lamb, Ooh. but like my best lineup was uh, here's a Prescott, Lamb, Aguilar, and then I filled it in with Henderson, Hubbard, Mixon, uh, RSJ, Tyreek Hill, and the Browns defense. Right. So correlating Hill and R. I thought Hill would be lower owned than Kelsey, out of all the pieces on the Chiefs. Uh, so I was I was prioritizing playing Tyreek Hill more than anything else, but I was focused a lot on that you know that 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 Cowboys game. In the beginning, it's like Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson are getting like well what's going on here, getting all the targets right, and then the Patriots like 
Jacoby Myers catches a touchdown pass that's called back. So yep. he's never going to score. No, ever, ever. It, it's ever. it's illegal. Right. Uh, but the double spy lineup, the double spy is an 833 uh, entry contest. I could probably even big, bring up my lineup on the screen instead of on my my cheat sheet over here and read it off. Uh, you, you're going to be you're going to be shocked at what I played. Most people would look at it and go, I, I think that was overkill. Uh, let's get to it. I played a chi- I played the Chiefs uh, Washington game in my double spy lineup. Yeah. Uh, let's see, where's the $200 double spy? Okay. But I, I played it quite differently than the rest of the field. Okay. How do, how do you think, okay, if, if I said that, how do you think I played the, uh, the Chiefs-Washington game differently than the field? Because you almost had to do, you know, like, if any, like, that was the chalkiest game. Yeah. Like um, how, I'm going to guess that you faded Ricky Seals-Jones for DeAndre Carter. No. You're, 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 you're 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 th- you're thinking you're thinking uh, I I did differently in a different way. You're okay, thinking so, of, so you did differently in a bad way. So let's let's hear no no I did differently like. in a good no I think I did differently in a good way. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, I'll bring it up on the screen. This is my this is my double spy lineup: Patrick Mahomes, Daryl Williams, Tyree Kill, Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Ricky Seals Jones, Terry McLaurin. And then I don't have any more spots left, so I just put in Khalil Herbert in the Ravens defense. So I played a five-two lineup. So basically, I'm just saying, just I want the whole. I just the whole. Just give me everything. Just, just I don't have to worry about it. Give me the rushing. Give me the passing. Give me the two top targets on on on, on Washington. Even though McLaurin only had six point eight, I fit in. I then I, and I saw it's like, oh well, what could fit in there? Oh Herbert, the oh beautiful. There you go. Well, I mean, I I got good. Uh, I doubled my money. I came in 117th with that. That's not a, that for a eight for a under 1,000 single entry. That that is not that is not a. I ran this in lineup HQ. This lineup projected mm-hmm. meeting wise higher than like higher than some of my other like like other lineups. Like I'll bet it did. Well, I mean, because take a look at who's in here. Daryl Williams was a value, mm-hmm. enough of a value. Ricky Seals Jones. Jones was enough of a Kelsey was underpriced at seven thousand. McCall Hardman was enough of a value at forty two hundred. I get Khalil Herbert and the Ravens defense. Ravens were like the top, one of the top projected defensive values. Khalil Herbert was the top running back value. Tyreek Hill was the highest, like the highest raw points player. McLaurin was projected decently enough, good enough for seventy one hundred. Wouldn't it? What? Why doesn't it surprise you that? Why not just put all of them in? Because because that you overcorrelated, and I know that you. It's I an eight hundred thirty-three person con. I didn't. I wouldn't have done this in the regular spy. I I know, and I know that you like purposely put it together. And we talked about it. If it wasn't last week, it was the week before. Where in smaller contests you can overstack mm-hmm. because you don't have to be perfect, right? And I, I totally perfect. get that. No, you were not perfect. <laughs> no, but I didn't. I mean, this this lineup did not score badly. No, no, it didn't. Um, I, mean, I, I got 22. Daryl Williams got 23. Who was playing Mahomes? Who was playing, who, who, like how to get different? Who's playing? People are playing like three ones and even maybe even four ones. Like who's playing five twos? No, no I no. want the game to explode. Just, just, and I, I could just, I could just hold my, cover my eyes and just say, as long as, as long as Jordy Fortson and Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle don't have anything, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably good. 
Well, you were probably good, but I think that it limited your ability to be great. Oh, I, I well, I agree with that. Yeah, that and that's that's all. I mean, in a super small contest, like yeah, I get it. Um, I hate you. Yeah, do you do you disagree with eight thirty three not being small enough? Like if this was like a, a hundred and fifty man contest, I think this would have been a eight thirty three is is too big for that. I think that it's and that's where it comes big, down. To. But it's it's it's. I would agree. Like this would this this would be more optimal in a two hundred or less. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would probably that that lineup would have been awesome in the Thunderdome for like fifty, right, sixty, right? For sixty, right. a six field of sixty or something. That's awesome for that for small people, but for for eight hundred, I just that's that's too much. Right, but I mean, but then all we're arguing is where that line is. Right, exactly, and, and it, we're not even arguing. I, I mean, I, right. I, you're right that the lineup projected well. It had all of the values that were on the slate. Like that, I think really the only thing. And it's funny that like, this is the only thing that I can say about it is like, you, if you take Mikkel Hardman out of that, I'm not even mad about it. Mikkel Hardman was the only piece of that where like, when you got to him, I was like too much. Cause like, I don't even care that you had Daryl Henderson with Tyreek Hill and Patrick Daryl Williams, and, not Daryl Henderson. No, no, sorry. Daryl Williams, too many Daryls. I, I don't even care that you had quarterback, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver on the chiefs. Like fine, whatever. If, if their running back is that cheap, then Okay. But uh, it, it was with Michael Hardman when you put three wide receivers with there. Like, I just think. Why not? Mahomes has 40 points. He has to go somewhere, right? The, the expectation of it, though, is like. That well, that's, is, I, that's how you win. You win when the Chiefs score. When the game goes 45 to 17, I win. Right? There you go. Give it to me. <laughs> Maybe. Unless, unless it's Tyreek Hill getting three touchdowns, Travis Kelsey getting two, and then Daryl Williams getting two as well. Yeah, but I don't need all of that. All I need is Cooper Cup not to put up and CeeDee Lamb not to put up almost 40 points. <laughs> well, unfortunately for you. <laughs> well, of course. But Michael Dampier in the chat says, with only 800 entrants, do you have to get that different? If you take a look, look at the ownership of this lineup. It's not like it's even that, like, that's what that's why the whole thing when I you, I was mentioning, like, how did I get different? And you're like, did you play, like, Byron Pringle? Like, the ownership of this lineup, I have bombs at 17. This is the double spy ownership. Mahomes was 17%, Daryl Williams 13, Herbert 24, Tyreek 20, McLaurin 23, McCall Hardman 18, Ricky Seals Drone is 46% owned, Travis Kelsey is 33% owned, and the Ravens defense is 6% owned. And you so weren't I'm, st- I'm still playing all the I'm I'm not getting different in players. I'm just getting different by just playing all of them. Right? I mean, that's a strategy. <laughs> For sure. Hey, I, I, I made 200 bucks off of this. No, I, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a good, that's a good day's work, for sure. Uh, like I said, I, Michael Hardman, I think, is the only thing that... that Who really am I going to play over. in that spot? I could have played Darnell Mooney as a one. But then I'm playing Herbert and Mooney together. Do I want to do that? Who do I play 4,200 in this one? Look, you, you can't say, do I want to play Herbert and Mooney together when you played a 5-2? So you're saying I should have made it a 4-3. I should have played Deami Brown and paid up a defense. You could have. Is, is that, would, that, would that have been bad? I don't want to play three guys from a team without the quarterback. But <laughs> I'll play four guys from the team with the quarterback. No, because McLaurin and Seals-Jones together, that's only two. <laughs> yeah, but like if you're if you're saying that uh, okay, no, I, I I agree with you. I hear you. I get it. I, I understand the concept. You may you may not have loved my implementation. Right. So I agree with the with the concept in theory, not in practice. 
Like I like if you plug that into an optimizer, the projections look good on paper. Why not play? Like, Who cares? What on paper, it's like it looks good, but like in practice, you see it and you're like, I can't play that. <laughs> the projection was great. Let the game go on. I know it was. I know. I got 11 out of the Ravens and I got 19 out of Khalil Herbert. I, what, I what didn't. What more can I want out of this lineup? Other than I was so mad about the Khalil Herbert thing. Why? He was a good play. Why are people saying that he wasn't a. Who else going to play? I mean, who else is going to play on that team? And they're they're obviously not letting Fields like they're not letting Fields cook. We saw the Bears like three weeks ago not put up a hundred yards on offense. Oh wow, one game. Wow, way to way to go with those sample sizes. But my my point is that the Bears suck, dude. Like I I don't like playing. Yeah, but one. if he's going to get ninety five percent of the work and five targets out of the base, he's forty six hundred. He is forty six hundred, and he was twenty five percent owned on a team that was a seven point home underdog on a team that sucks. Like it, we talk about the ceilings on running backs, and we talk about the projections and the expectations of running backs being so heavily tied to touchdowns. So like even at forty six hundred. If he gets you 12, most people are happy with 12. And then he gets me a touchdown like he did and gets me 19. Right. But that's, that's the running thing. back if, variant. So who if cares? you don't, but, but you accept running back variants when they're not highly owned at 25% yeah, owned. I thought it was a great fade. I'm not paying, I'm not paying Austin Eckler's price for running back variants. I'll play 4,600 for running back. Variants. Not when he's highly owned. I disagree with that. Okay. I think it was, I think it was too high owned to take that chance on him on a team well, it like doesn't the mean Bears. You play none of them though. I mean, well, no, but like in, that he fits in. Sure. And I play I played a lot of these types of lineups, uh, quarterback, uh, running back, wide receiver lineups this past week. Yeah. Yesterday, I played a lot more correlated lineups yesterday than I normally do because it's a ten game slate, so there's less teams, so there's less ways for other teams to have this one-off that, you know, that you must have type of thing. And there was more likely because of that, that, you know, a team puts up 30 plus points, like their, their quarterback and their running back to get there. So like I played some Stafford Henderson cup lineups. Yeah. I played some, uh, what, what else did I play? I, I mean, obviously I played Mahomes Williams Tyreek type of lineups. Yeah. I played uh, like, Burrow, Mixon, Chase type line. I mean, like, like one team just goes out and puts up 35 points and just like, especially with running back, like as, but I'm not, I'm not like triple stacking them. Like, that's the main thing. Like, I'm not playing four guys. I'm not, the, to me, the quarterback gets there with like 30 points. The running back gets there with 22 points and the receiver gets there with 32 points. And like, it's two rushing touchdowns and two receiving touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And the quarterback has, Three, three, three hundred and three, because obviously some tight end or some third wide receiver or something gets it. And I'm more likely to do that on smaller slates than on larger slates because the 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 amount of options that you have now, 10 games is not like small, small, but it's still smaller than 12 and still smaller than 13 mm-hmm. or 14. So we have these bye weeks coming up. I'm much more I'm much more likely to just like, can I take a bet on a game? Take, can I take a bet on two games? Mm-hmm. And how do I weave those two games into a lineup? Yeah. More so than it's a 15 game slate. There's six games that have a 50 plus total. And it's like, like mostly I'm going to be skinny stacking, maybe not even having run backs in those because like, dude, there's so many different players from all these half the games on the slate. 
that could put up 30 plus points that why am I tying myself half my lineup to one game only or two games only, but on the smaller slates now that the bye weeks are coming up, I think these lineups. So when you see the quarterback running back wide receiver lineups and you go, Oh, that's a bad lineup. It's not a bad lineup, right? Obviously the running back ceiling is negatively correlated to the wide receiver ceiling because they're stealing touchdowns. And if it's rushing touchdowns, they're stealing from the ceiling of the quarterback. But how much of a ceiling do you need? Like, well, and I think that one, I'll say that like another thing about the the correlation of cor- of quarterback, running back, and wide receiver this week, there weren't really any running backs that projected super duper well. I mean, if you if you look across things, most people that I talked to, I, I didn't have a single running back over 20 fantasy points this week. Hunt. And, well, I mean, yeah, Hunt, if you... No, no, no one... Okay, I, I think I, I'll rephrase it for you. It's not that no one projected well. It's just that no one stood out project right. other than Hunt, I believe. Right. Like, you had running backs you wanted to play. Like, I didn't, I didn't feel bad at running back because it's like you have Herbert as a value. You got even Daryl Williams as a value. You got H- Henderson Hubbard. Taylor Swift, Mixon, Booker even. You had every running back on the planet in the 5,500, 6,500 range. Right, exactly. But not, but not much separation between them. Right. Which flattened right. out the ownership. So, like, to me, like, running back wasn't the priority. It's just as long as you have two, take a chance on two of those, two of them, two of them mm-hmm. and you're fine. But if they're all projecting very similarly in that range, I'm much more likely to just correlate them yeah. to another piece in my lineup because I'm not I'm not giving up much projection. Like the, if I play Daryl Henderson in the lineup, then I have Sterling Shepard. But if I have uh, uh, Chuba Hubbard in a the lineup, then I have Alan Thielen. And like the differences between these guys' projections are between the two v two is like less than a point. Yeah. But now they're correlated in the same game. It's like it's the times where I need to correlate two sides of a game, and you're giving up four points in projection to do so. That's when that's when correlation is is likely not is likely not worth it. But with everyone kind of similarly projected in certain ranges, it's like I'm much more likely to just weave weave those lineups together because doing so doesn't you don't lose you don't lose much projection, if any. You don't lose much ownership, if any, and you add a little bit of correlation. So like you get that little bit of bonus there. So why not do it? But I think I think a lot of people, uh, because I because we get the question all the time about like. Like, oh, correlated lineups, not correlated lineups. When do you add the secondary stack? Like, that's the determination of how much projection are you, how much projection are you giving up for the sake of correlation? And is it worth it? I don't know how much it's worth it on specific slates or whatever, but we explained just now in yesterday's slate that with, you know, we got like six running backs that are all in the same range that have somewhere between a 16 and 18 point projection. At very similar ownerships, right? Close enough between, you know, 12 and 22% owned, depending, not even, somewhere around 15 to 18. Like, well, when do I correlate? And when do I not correlate? Well, is there a piece of the other games that are all in the same price that all project about the same? Well, then if they're all, and play what play wherever you want at that point, like just you know, mix, mix and match or whatever. But it's those times where it's like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to drop, I'm going to correlate. Uh, I'm going to use the bring back, right? Everyone's like, Oh, when do you use a run back? It's like, well, what does it contribute to the lineup? Mm-hmm. It contributes correlation, but what are you, what are you giving up for that? There's always going to be a trade-off. 
So you're going to put in the you're going to put in the the run back, right? Like on, I played some Stafford lineups without Giants in it. So I know a lot of people got burned because they played Kadarius Tony and he got injured in the first corner. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I got Stafford, I got Stafford Cup Tony. Thanks. It's like, well, run the lineups. You could see that that Stafford lineups or even like Prescott. Like I ran some Prescott lineups without Myers, without a run back, or with Hunter Henry as the run back in the tight end spot because. If I'm going to play a guy in the 3K range, like why not play Henry over whatever? But you have to look and see how much projection am I giving up? Is that correlation worth it? In certain teams, it may not be worth it enough. Or it drops your projection four points and you have to make that up by playing Kareem Hunt or Khalil Herbert. You have to play the higher projected, higher own guy to raise that projection up. You know, if you, you drop four points by adding the correlation. You gain three points back by adding the high-owned, high-projected players into your lineup. And then you have to take a look and go, well, now what's the ownership? Mm-hmm. Right now, now you may put it up on the level where now you're sacrificing one point and your actually ownership is like twice as high. Maybe not that high because the only way to get the correlation is by jamming in high-owned, high-projected plays. So you take a look at that lineup and go, I think I can make better lineups. Or you could play it in your 150 set or something. That's not not saying it's a bad lineup, but there are probably better lineups than that, that you could play higher EV lineups. So you end up making certain teams like Khalil, like uh, like Kareem Hunt, like the Cardinals did not project well on their side. So anytime that Hunt was in a lineup with AJ Green or Rondell Moore or something like DeAndre Hopkins, it dropped the projection only because like Hunt projected well, but this Cardinals players like dropping your lineup by three points. Mm-hmm. So in those lineups, but these Cardinals are also low owned. So it drops your, it gives you correlation. It drops your ownership, but now you need to make that up. So where are you making that up? So now, now you're putting in Daryl Henderson, you're putting in Cooper cop, you're putting in high projected players. And now that ownership is going to start coming back up this way. And you have to see whether or not that projection is worth that ownership. So really, when people ask, when, when do you do, when did, like, it, it really comes down to lineups, not players. Like, it, it, James, people get pissed off at me get, uh, when, when, I, when I, you know, they ask me a question, I go, it depends on the lineup. And they go, that didn't help me. Like, this is what, this is what we're explaining. Like, yeah, I can't help you because it really, it does depend on the lineup and on the contest that you're playing, right? Because we had that whole conversation with the double spy. If you saw me play this uh, this uh, Chiefs uh, onslaught to the nth degree into like the Millie Maker, like that would be stupid. Yeah, terrible. right. Terrible. Yeah, I, I, when it, when people ask me for help and they say, "Well, what do you prefer?" Like they they give a one v one, they or they give a two v two, and I'm like, most of the time that one v one or the two v two, they're like, "Oh, well, I don't know who to play between." Uh, like Daryl Henderson and DeAndre Swift. Like, who do I choose? I'm like, DeAndre Swift projects for like 0.5 points better than Daryl Henderson. According to you, well, according to you, not. Well, according, yeah. But I mean, but your, any, your answer is whoever projects higher. That's given well, no other even, information, it's going to be whoever. Projects. Even if it's half a point, like, what do you want right. me to say there? Like, do, do you want me to say that like DeAndre Swift is that much better to play? Because Daryl Henderson's ceiling is higher, but DeAndre Swift's median projection is a little bit higher, but they project flip a freaking coin. A 2v2 where there's like a one point difference, like 
flip a coin, dude. You're probably not gaining anything by me giving you a side. But but if you show me a lineup and you show me that you have a 2v2 between a very high ownership combo and a very low ownership combo, but you say, here's the lineup, and I see that like you have no ownership across the entire lineup, choose the higher ownership side and you're fine. Choose the higher projected side. That if it's higher projected, if it's, right. even if it's higher owned, right. Right. Because then at that point, like I have context of the entire lineup. I have context of leverage that you're gaining or losing. I have context of like why you are playing these two guys against each other. And, and, and 1v1s is even worse. I, I hate 1v1s more than most things on this planet because the vast majority of the time, there, there's not even an answer. And if there is an answer, it's which one is projected higher. And if you ask me between these two players, which one you should play and one projects for five points higher. And you're like, well, which one should I play? I'm like, what, why are you asking me this? Right. The higher projected one, the, the one that projects for five points. high. Oh, well, what about this? What about this? No, dude, all of that is taken into account in projections. Like the model knows those things. It, it doesn't care. This guy's projected five points higher Play Jamar chase. Yeah. But it's so. a, but it's a sun. It's the third Sunday on, and and cloudy weather. This guy is uh, it always runs for eighty yards when when he has his red shoe on or something. Ty T- Hilton against the Texans, dude. Ty Hilton against the Texans every time. <laughs> it's annoying that he got there too. <laughs> that's that's annoying. But yeah, uh, it, it, like one v ones, man. If you ask somebody, if you ask any content provider or Blender. Because you're not a content provider, you just. I am a con- we're doing con- What are we doing right now? We're doing content. I, I mean, like projections and stuff. Um, anybody who like builds out projections, provides projections and stuff. If you ask a one v one to that person, and like the answer is blatant based on the projections, just just please don't. Just like if you have a bias of the player who's projected for lower points, and you don't, and like you're going to make an argument and say, oh, well, what about this, 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 and this? It's like, I'm just going to tell you, go do whatever you want to do. Because if you're going to ignore the projection and if you're going to ignore the projection set, then like, I don't, I don't know what to do for you. Well, but that's, that's why there's still an edge. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, bro. High five. Jordan, I noticed you had 150 lineups created. I had 180 lineups created. Uh, do you just slap that into the quick slant? No. I mean, no. I mean, I, my in my lineups, I had 180. I had like nine. I, I play all different types of contests. So I play like 30 lineups into the flea flicker. I play 90 into the slant. I play three into the $15 three max. I play five into the $33 five. Now, like it's all in my CSV and I organize that. And I, I, a lot of times I'm just randomly putting them in. Mm-hmm. They're all based on, you know, a certain contest size. And most of them are large enough that the slant style lineups or fine across the board. And then I just cut and paste and just wherever, wherever it ends up. I mean, that's really, what else am I supposed to do? I used to organize it by, by field size uh, from high, lower, lower field, uh, smaller field contests at the, with smaller field, still a field, field size of 12,000 still uh, to the larger field, which is the play action. Cause I'll always play 20 lineups into that. Uh, and then sort by ownership in the output. And I'm, so I'm playing my higher own lineups in the smaller field and the lower own lineups. Uh, they're all lower own lineups to some extent, but the lowest into the largest field stuff. Uh, but the problem with that, you can do it that way is that your diversification between contests gets kind of warped. Mm-hmm. Right. So like 
like on the bottom, those bottom 20 lineups in the play action have all, like, if, if I have a, a Donovan people Jones one off or, you know, like, like that's going to be in those, cause it's going to be players that project fairly poorly, but they're correlated with something. Right. And they're all at the bottom. And then my top lineups are all going to be the high, more higher owned, higher projected lineups, which means like, I'm, if I organize my field size, like, all my $33 entry lineups are going to be practically the same lineup with a three V three. Right. Like, like, cause they're going to project. And like, instead of having, let's say uh, four Patrick Mahomes lineups and one Dak Prescott lineup into the $33 five max, I'd rather have one of each, have a Mahomes lineup, have a Lamar lineup, have a Dak lineup, have a staff. Like I'm less I, now I could do that manually, but that's a pain in the ass. So I'm more likely to sort by sort by ownership and then spread out. I randomly put like in halves of my CSVs, like in the top half, I'll randomly put in you know, like 10 entries from the play, play action, half of my slant, like half of everything into the top half and then randomize. And then the bottom half, I take the other half and I rent. So like, so now I have, you know, half my lineups all over the place, but it's still more of the large, more of the large field lineups towards the bottom, but in a more random manner. And then when I cut and paste my, my, my players, my lineup set over it, it's just wherever the hell it ends up, it ends up, you know, to me, to me, to, to avoid type of like the contents clumping. Do you have to do that? No, I'm doing that more for a diversification standpoint where I'm sitting there going, Going, why, why do all three of my $15 bubble screen lineups have the same stack in it? Right? Because if they were together in the CSV and those lineups, it's it's a 3v3 defense and uh, a secondary correlation off in the same lineup three times. It's like I'd much rather have one in there, one in the slant, and one in the play action, like like that. And I'm more likely to get it doing like you know the rand function on mm. on uh, on stuff. But that's the diversification. There's no strategy to that. The best thing to do is to simulate the contest and play the right lineups into the right contests. But like my, my one, the reason why my seven lineups for single entry three max are separate, because those are the only contests that are under like, like five figures of entries. It's like, once I get past 10,000 entries into a contest, I kind of treat them all the same way. Right. Kind of like it's 10, 10 K plus there's to me, is there a benefit of treating the 10 K 12 K level contest to the 50K, 100K level contest? Yes. But I don't think it's worth the time. It's not worth the time for me to separate them like that. But it is worth the time for me to separate from 10,000 down to 5,000 or 1,000 or 500. I usually do like 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. And then after 10,000, it's like, whatever. It's, right. it's, whatever. it's I, I, I don't see any discern. I mean, you can. 10,000 is different than 200,000. Uh, absolutely yeah right absolutely but if i were to think about it that way i'd have to think about it that way and, and i don't mme often but when i do I, I think about it that way and then i would have to do that for mba i have to do it for mlb and frankly i don't have the time to do that for either one of those sports like i could do it for nfl i could not do it for daily sports so putting that into a process like it's just that's that's not worth it to me uh, Joe Clary says that uh, uh, my ROI is only 10% for this season in cash games. Well, number one, so there's only been six weeks. 
So that's not much of a sample size. If you also ten percent is great. It's great, right? So yeah. If you're playing, if you're playing, if you're playing low stakes, ten percent, ten percent is 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 very good. Yeah. If you're playing high stakes, you're 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 gone. So like so 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 obviously that's not sustainable. So right. you're playing if you're playing high stakes cash games in in NFL, and you're long term, not a six week period. Long term ROI is ten percent. You're the greatest cash game player on the planet, probably by double. People have very, very warped expectations of what their ROI should be in cash. Right. Ultra in low warped. stakes, however, uh, I think I, if it, I, I was able to achieve 15% in low stakes cash in all, across, across all sports. Yeah. But of course, remember, I was playing low. low I, was, I can't play low stakes past 2019. Right. So uh, this is this is 2015 to 2018 DFS, which probably had was a little bit easier, mm-hmm. uh, but not as easy as 2012. But I didn't play back then, uh, so I I achieved the 15 percent ROI. So if, and people look at 15 and go, that's only 15. Like, how much of a favorite do you think you are in these? I mean, like, <laughs> you, even against the even against the worst players, like, but. If you're against an average player in a head-to-head, an average one, at best, I'm 60-40. At best. Yeah. At best, most likely probably 58-42. Yeah. And in head-to-heads, you have to, in order to be profitable, you have to be 55% or better. So there's your the 3% average ROI. Right. But you that compounds over time because you're going to be playing every, every, every day. Now, if you're up against the worst of the, if you're up against bad players, there's, they still have like a 32 to 35% chance of beating you. I was going to say you're probably 70, 75, maybe. But that, that, those, those would be awful players. Yeah, those are players that are playing like injured players. Right. So 75, 25. If, if you have an injured player in the spot, you still probably still have a, a zero and random variance. You'll win one out of four times still, right? So like, like you can't be that bad. You can't be that much of a favorite where your ROI is – is ridiculous in cash games. You can right. be in GPPs, just that obviously realizing that is it takes takes a long time, probably. right? Right, for, especially for the large field stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, when you when you look at the ROI of cash and GPP of the best players in the world, I mean, like you're not even and ten percent is still a good year for Osama because of like 10%, how much ten percent is ten percent is a is a godlike year for Osama. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fantastic. So like ten percent, people just think that. Because they see, oh, 50K wins and 100K wins and, and stuff like that. But it's like, dude, they're playing the 50, 60K per slate in or NFL more or more than that, depending on who it is. Like, the ROIs are not that high, man. 10% is really, really good over a year. And understand that that this is not an annualized ROI. So people think of 10% ROI, go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to play with $10,000 and then I'm going to what? So at the end of the year, I have 11,000. Yeah. Like, like, no, no, no. It's uh, it's the ROI means ROI on any entry that you play. Yep. So if you're going to play, for instance, that that's why everything, it's like compounding interest in, in the stock market in a bank account, but understand that it's, it's compound. It, obviously, your, your, your ROI, like in a small sample size means nothing. So like you can't, if, if you knew you had a five, let's say you have a 5% ROI in cash games, which is, which is great. Uh, and you played a thousand dollars a day. Okay. So it, that means your expected return would be 50 bucks. 
per day, right? Your expected return. Now, you're not going to return 50 bucks because if, if you're playing, let's say you're just playing double ups, like you're going to get 2000 or zero. I mean, like it's going to be one or the other, like that type of thing. But the average over the course of 10 years is going to be 50 bucks for that 1000 Now, obviously, once you put the $50 in, you start with 1000 right? But you're, well, you're probably not starting with 1000 You start with 10000 you play 10% of your bankroll. So you're playing a thousand. Your expected return is 50 bucks. Well, now your bankroll is 10,050. So now you're playing uh, $1,005 tomorrow, right? You're because you're, you're playing a certain percentage of your bankroll. And as that bankroll goes up, you play more and more, which means now you get the power of compounding one on top of each other. And then when you start, if you lose a couple of slates in a row, your volume goes down, right? It goes up and down like that. So a 5% ROI, if you have a 5% ROI uh, and you're playing decent enough volume, I mean, we could, I mean, look at my, my NBA from last year. Like, dude, I started with $20,000, right? As my fictional bankroll, right? And I was playing 10% per slate in NBA across three sites, head to heads, like really diversified. Like my ROI was like, I'll bring that up. What was it? We'll see. Uh, my ROI was 7.61%. And it mostly came from FanDuel because FanDuel games are really soft. I actually lost money on DraftKings overall, minus 1.61%. So take a look at this graph. So this is the power of, like it goes up, it goes down. And, you know, you could see the net total on the side, right? It goes up, it goes down. Start with whatever. This Scale this to whatever it is. I mean, it does, oh, you need that $20,000. It's like, no, it could be $1,000. But that means you're playing 100 bucks. And if you win that day and you double your money or whatever, if you're playing head to head, you're not going to purely double. Uh, you go from 1,000 to 1,200 right? Or to 1100. And now you play $110, right? And then the next, and then if you lose, you have to go back down to hundred and you keep on going up and down, but that's a 7% ROI. I was able to, in the course of uh, uh, 90, 90 slates overall, around 90 slates overall, turn $20,000 into a little over 40,000 with a 7% ROI. So if you, you look at 20,000 and you go, what's 7% of 20,000? What? What are we talking about? Fourteen hundred bucks? Yeah, fourteen hundred. Yeah. Right. And you go, oh, you're gonna play the, you're gonna play the whole. No, because these ROI doesn't mean annualized. It means on every, like that. That was your average return on every slate. Mm -hmm. So five, five percent is five percent is great. Five, seven percent, anything, ten percent. It depends, obviously, on the stakes. Obviously, on FanDuel and NBA Cash, I'm not restricted yet. So I'm playing a lot of one dollar and two dollar games. I'm assuming my ROI is going to go down on FanDuel once I hit the limit of uh, that they won't let me play those games anymore. DraftKings, I can't, right? That's the difference. Like the difference between DraftKings and FanDuel for me last year is that the games on DraftKings, I can't play the low stakes. So I have to play the high stakes. And I ended up down minus 1.61% doing so. I was up a little on Yahoo and then heavily on FanDuel, which based on now with the MPE on FanDuel, that's probably oh. more likely. And you see here, even on my chart, as 
as I saw that the games on FanDuel were much easier than the ones on DraftKings, I was devoting more of my bankroll to this. And that, hence why I was making more money on FanDuel. But that's that should be your expectation in cash games if you're a good player. 5%, right? If your Roto Tracker says and anything in the double digits for cash games and you're playing anything above $5, like you're, you're, you're one of the best in the world. And it's like, well, I've been doing that for, for, I played an entire season of NFL. It's like, we're talking about 18 slots. Like you can run hot. You could go 15 and three mm-hmm. in NFL. That's not sustain like that, that. That's not sustainable. Right. I'm going to say that outright. That's not, that's not, that's not realistic, but of course I'm going to say that. And most, what ends up happening to most people's minds that don't have the experience is they think they're the exception. Right, James? Everybody's the exception. Nobody's Everyone's the, the exception. Right? You bink a large field GPP and you go, yeah, I, I well, now I can max enter everything because I'm the exception. Right? And then you find out that, no, you're not the exception. <laughs> Anything to add? No? No? You just... No, dude, you nailed it. I, I, oh, I, I nailed it. Okay. You're good. People say I talk too much. I nailed it. <laughs> no, I mean, you talk a lot because you're right. Doesn't matter. Well, I talk a lot because no one interrupts me. Well, you're hard to, you're hard to interrupt. Well, I, I, I will really say quickly, that. Right. Because I, yeah. I don't pause. So it's like, you don't. You're, you're, a, you're a battery. Yeah. But, but, but that's the reason. I think that's the main reason why I don't, why I end up interrupting other people is because I'm so used to talking. Like coming from New York, Brooklyn, like we talk yeah. very quickly. Yeah. We talk bluntly and we talk with our hands. And I'm not like once I hear a slight pause, you're, you're you have to be done because you would constantly in. be gone. Right. I mean, that's yeah. that's the point. So anytime, like you know, I'm on the ASA show and you know Stewart is uh, going off on something and he kind of like meanders off and I hear like a three second pause. It's like, well, well, this is unbearable. Right? Yeah, three you're seconds done. of silence. Time to talk. So you got to jump in, right? I, and I do when I have something to say. Right, of course. And But I, I hope that people jump in. I want people to jump in. Uh, apparently, Kareem Hunt is out at least three weeks now. Adam Schefter. There it is. Right. There it is. So so uh, showdown, Dearness Johnson. Are we, yep. playing, are we playing Felton? On the, on no, the man. Dearness Johnson. All in. Now, the thing is, is that, that the, this injury is happening uh, close enough that they'll probably price those guys. Yeah, yeah, they won't. Right. On FanDuel, they won't. On FanDuel, they'll be five. No. So, James, uh, where can people get your Cortland Sutton projections? PaterDFS.com. Uh, Cortland Sutton has been crushing, so if you want to continue to play when people are not, uh, come sub over at Pater, uh, as well as having projections that are over industry standard on every other sport. So, um, make sure that you come check out the site. I have a couple free tools. Uh, I'm going to do some, some free models this Friday as well. So um, look forward to that. And then you can find me on Patreon underscore DFS over on Twitter. Uh, obviously, you could also find our work. Me and James did an audio course, 15 hours long. All these concepts that we talk about, that mm-hmm. I talk about on the pregame show, that we talk about on Mondays, are all in the course. So if you all want them all in one place, nice, easy way to learn, structured. You can listen to it over and over again. Uh, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. 
NBA is coming up. It applies to NBA too. It applies to everything. Uh, game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, and psychology. Go pick that up. Uh, 15 hours of, of fundamental concepts of expert level DFS gameplay at theoryofdfs.com. Give me those thummy thumbs on your way out the door. I'll wave my thumbs at you. Uh, I'll be back on later tonight uh, on the show, uh, on the, 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 the pre-lock show with, uh, with Will for, for the showdown slate tonight. So uh, hit that notification bell to know when we go live. So for, for James McCool, um, Jordan Cooper, answering your DFS strategy questions as always on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. Thank you.